From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. When was the last time you saw God? That's not a trick question or a rhetorical question. Now I know that in 1 John it says no one has ever seen God. And yet John goes on to say that God is love. So it seems to me that if we have seen love, then we have seen God. But what does love look like? It's not a Hallmark card or a rom-com or simply being nice to people or saying the words, I love you. Cornell West says that justice is what love looks like in public. James Baldwin says that the role of the artist is exactly the same as the role of the lover. If I love you, Baldwin writes, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. On Friday, the church celebrated the Feast of the Epiphany, which is all about making us conscious of things we do not see. During the Christmas season, we sometimes sing of three kings who had not seen the infant Jesus and yet had a sense that the whole world was changed redeemed, renewed, revealed by a birth in Bethlehem. Faith often requires us to navigate between the information we receive from our senses and certain premises that are beyond sense, beyond verification. We are invited to taste and see the goodness of the Lord on the one hand and to believe without visible proof on the other. The author of the letter to the Hebrews puts it this way, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But how can there be evidence of things not seen? In his poem, Epiphany, A.R. Ammons writes, some talk that there is safety in the visible, the definite, the heard and felt. How puzzled they will be, he continues, when they strike the intangible. I'm guessing that for many of us, God often feels intangible. A good idea, a mystery, some field of energy that secretly connects and animates all things, someone, some thing unseen for which we await evidence. And if we get a burst of faith, a jolt of belief, 
we might start to consider certain things evidence of God. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, to quote Julie Andrews. But what about those other things of which she sings? The dog bite, the bee sting, prolonged historical injustices, a sick child, a dying parent, a job lost, a house foreclosed, all the minor and major stresses and sorrows of life. How do we make sense of God when suffering knocks at our door, invites itself in, stays too long? Peter tells us in the reading from Acts that we are witnesses of everything that Jesus Christ did, which he summarizes in these ways. He traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Each of us is called as a witness. Each of us is called to testify. Jesus Christ does good, heals, and serves as judge of the living and the dead. I suspect most of us probably don't like the sound of being judged. Judgment can feel excessively critical, possibly punitive, that is because we have allowed ourselves to become judges. We have created justice systems that are more about retribution than restoration. We fail at Cornell West's offering of the opportunity to see love because we so rarely witness justice. But the claim that Jesus Christ is our judge is actually an expression of hope. Jesus, who promises the thief hanging next to him they will be together in paradise, is the judge we want. Jesus, who protects a woman accused of sexual immorality, is the judge we want. Jesus, who tells the overworked Martha that God wants her to enjoy life, to sit a spell, is the judge we want. Jesus, the great storyteller who illustrates mercy for us, in the parables of the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son is the judge we want. And the good news is that Jesus is the judge we have, not the judge we deserve, not the judge that we could come up with in our own wonderful and warped imaginations, but the judge God has given us of God's very own self. To be judged by Jesus is to come under the loving consideration of the one who humbled himself first by assuming human nature. The God of the universe could have appeared in any number of forms, a terrible force of nature, or gorgeous creature, a venerable emperor or imposing warrior. But he came, as the song says, lowly, meek, and mild. Once he had become an adult, he humbled himself again by going to his cousin John and asking this eccentric preacher to baptize him. I wonder if anyone that you regard with awe and admiration has ever come to you and asked you to do something that you know they would likely be able to do better than you can. 
Jesus asking John to baptize him is a bit like Michael Jordan coming to me for pointers on his jump shot, or Yo-Yo Ma asking for help with a cello recital. John, understandably, questions this request from Jesus. Look, I'm just out here doing some funky remixes of Jeremiah and Isaiah. You're the son of God. Why should I perform some religious ritual for you? Jesus says, allow me to be baptized now. I think there are two significant things about how he says what he says. The first is the petition. He isn't ordering John. He's asking him, almost pleading with him, allow me. The other significant thing is the word now. Part of the power of epiphany, part of the astonishment of baptism is the nowness of God, the way God is always present and available and visible to us in ancient texts and in the person sitting next to you and the grass growing in your yard and the waters of our font and the Buffalo Bayou and the Gulf of Mexico. I was thinking about baptism this week and I had a couple of memories come back to me. Some of you know that on my journey with Jesus, I was a Baptist for a time. So when I was in a Baptist studies program, we did something every year called dunk and dine. We would put on baptismal gowns that looked a bit like what I'm wearing now, and we would get into a swimming pool and we would practice putting one another under the water. After everyone had been baptized, we would go share a meal and discuss the experience. Being baptized in this way is such an act of trust. You are literally being put under the water and lifted out of it by the power of another. And as I was recalling that experience, I thought even further back to my childhood and how I loved swimming in the ocean, especially when the waves were rough. There was something delightful in the terror of being overpowered by the water, being caught up in the swirl and churn of the tides. Baptism is both a physical and a spiritual gesture of surrender. Our faith in Jesus Christ always comes back to the body. It always comes back to the nowness of God and God's desire to see and be seen by us. Well, we will soon reaffirm our vows of baptism using the words of the Nicene Creed. Our faith cannot be summarized in a system of beliefs. As beautiful as the words are in scripture and prayer, they are only a fraction as beautiful as the word made flesh who surrendered everything for us to know what love, what God truly looks like.
can find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.